Come thou fount of every blessing To my heart to sing thy grace This is the Calvary Worship Center podcast from Colorado Springs. We post these messages each week so you can keep up to date with the pulpit teachings from our church on the front range of Colorado. You joined us at a terrific time when Pastor Al Pittman is taking us through a journey of the book of Revelation. We're only in chapter two, so you can easily catch up with the previous episodes of this podcast. Blessed for Success, part three is the title of this message as we consider the second chapter and review the words of Jesus to the church of Smyrna. Now is the time to get your Bible open to the book of Revelation, chapter two. Wow, a lot of great things that the Lord is doing here. Praise God for what he's doing. You have your Bibles there, Revelation chapter 2. We want to get right into the Word of God. And in this particular letter, the Lord is addressing the issue of compromise. Compromise within the church. Compromise is a sifting process. A sifting process. Jesus told Peter, who was boasting about the fact that, Lord, I'm never going to leave you. All these other jerks are going to leave you, but I'll always be here. And Jesus said, let me tell you something, Peter. Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat. Sifting, that slow process, it's a little bit at a time. It's death by a thousand cuts. Compromise. The purpose for the Lord's letter to the church in Pergamos is to stop the bleeding, to refute or to come against the the compromise that he found within the church. And thus to be blessed for success, which is the title of the series of messages that we have here, to be blessed for success, we must put off compromise. That's what we're going to talk about today and look at the Lord's perspective on compromise. And so I pray that the Lord would richly bless you, but let's pray and ask God to bless his word before we go any further. Father, we ask in the mighty name of Jesus that you will bless your word. It is again, Lord, your word and not our opinion. And Lord, you would give us ears to hear what the spirit of God is saying to the church. Speak to us, dear God, teach us, Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth, We ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. We begin here at verse 12 uh, with the church in Pergamos. The Lord addresses this letter to the church, and he says, to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write. And, of course, the word angel means minister or uh, messenger to the church in uh, Pergamos. And the Lord is addressing this letter to the minister that is there. These things, says he, who has a sharp two-edged sword, now, he says sharp to edged sword because in, in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus is, is uh, manifested in his glorified body to John the Apostle, the Apostle John. And, and Jesus wants them to understand that the same glorious manifestation that John saw, this is the same Jesus that is speaking. And we know in verse 16 of chapter 1 of John, there Jesus is described as having a two-edged sword in his mouth. Basically speaking about his word, the word of God, which is able to cut you both ways. Amen. It can heal you or it can judge you. And so he's saying this is the same Jesus with the two-edged sword. He says in verse 13, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith. Even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. At this particular time, this was a place, uh, indeed, what Jesus called it, a place where Satan dwells. It's the city of Pergamos. 
is located in, of course, Asia Minor, and actually, which is modern-day Turkey, but it's in western Turkey. It resided uh, north of Smyrna. We talked about the city, the ancient city of Smyrna last week, the Lord's letter to the church in Smyrna. It was 15 miles inland from the Aegean Sea, so it kind of gives us an idea of where Pergamos was. Uh, Jesus, of course, refers to the city as being the throne of Satan or Satan's throne. And historically, we can see why he would say that. Uh, we know, according to biblical historians, that Pergamos was uh, in Pergamos, there were two major uh, pagan deities that they worshiped. One being Athena. Athena was the Greek goddess of wisdom and reason. Her temple was the most prominent, the most important temple in Pergamos. And it was called Athena Nikephorus, uh, which literally, literally means victory bearer. So here, this God proclaiming to be uh, the God of all wisdom and the God of victory. And the second most uh, popular pagan deity that they worshiped there, why the Lord would call it Satan's throne, was the deity, the pagan deity, uh, Asclepius, excuse me, Asclepius. He was a Greek god of healing and medicine. Asclepius was often depicted with a staff and a serpent wrapped around the staff. We see the symbol today in, in medical symbols. You see the staff and the serpent. You wonder where that came from? It came from Asclepius, from this Greek pagan god. And it's interesting to me that there, Jesus said, in this place was the throne of Satan. And it isn't just like Satan to declare that apart from God, we can have uh, wisdom. Apart from God, we can have victory. Apart from God, we can be healed. But that is a lie that emanates and proceeds from the throne of the devil. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, says, but of Jesus Christ, of him, you are in Christ Jesus, of God, rather, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, amen, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. As a believer, amen, I have no wisdom apart from God. I have no righteousness apart from God. I have no sanctification apart from God. I have no redemption, no salvation apart from God, amen. But the world, the lie of the devil is that, oh, you can have wisdom and you can have victory and you can heal yourself apart from God. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And Jesus said, you are there. In the very midst of this lie, very midst of the Satan's throne, Pergamos was a pagan city, yes, but it was also a religious city. It tolerated all manner of religions, but it did not tolerate Jesus Christ. We live in that kind of a society today, and not much has changed. We live in Pergamos today, you could say, uh, whereby people are tolerant of every world religion, but when it comes to Jesus Christ, oh, we've got to shut that down, amen? And this is the way it was in the city of Pergamos. And I would say to you that religion, religion is really the gateway drug to compromise. When we become religious, we begin to compromise. The Bible says, Paul says in the last days that they would have a form of godliness, but they would deny the very power thereof. Religion, a form of godliness, just going through the motions, checking the box. I went to church on Sunday. The religion is not a relationship with God. Jesus did not come to bring us a religion, I've often said, but into a right relationship with the living God. Now, it's not strange to find the church where the throne of Satan resides. 
The reason I say that is because Jesus said, I will build my church and the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know what that means? That means that the church is to be on the offense. We are not to be on the defense. We're not to be circling the wagons and hiding in here behind these four walls and all. We are to be advancing the kingdom of God. That's why we, you know, we have our radio program and we do outreaches from this church and, and all those kind of things. And, and, and for Easter, I'm kind of, you know, spoiler alert, but uh, you'll hear about the advertisement for Easter. But we're going to take the Easter celebration out beyond the walls of the church again. We're going to meet at Pike's Peak Center this year. Amen. We do that because we believe the kingdom ought to be advancing. Amen. Out in the public. And so a lot of other things that we do, but the kingdom ought to be advancing, not hiding. He said, I will build my church. There's nothing wrong in seeing the church where the throne of Satan dwells. We ought to be in the dark places that we might be a light. But it's a travesty when we find the throne of Satan in the church or in the life of the believer. It's a big difference between being where the throne of Satan is and being a light and allowing the throne of Satan to have dominion over the church. Or in our lives. And this is what Jesus is addressing here. In our text, Satan had obviously infiltrated the ranks of the church. And yes, they had held on that Jesus commends them for their faithfulness. You guys have been faithful. Even uh, in in light of the, the martyr of my servant, my martyr, Antipas. Antipas was probably, it's not much that we know about Antipas in the church of Pergamos, but that he was probably a leader within the church. He was martyred for his belief and his faith in Jesus Christ, but they were holding on. Jesus said, you're holding fast to, uh, uh, to, to my name and, and to, to my faith. Yet, Jesus is pointing out that they, their grip on the Lord has begun to slacken. And isn't that the way it is with us? Oh, we still come to church. We still believe in Jesus. We may still pray and read our Bibles, but sometimes our grip on the Lord began to slacken because we start allowing things into our lives that we would not have allowed maybe years ago. And the compromise, the sifting process begins to start. And so the Lord is warning them against that very thing here. But what I notice here is the, the challenge the Lord issues here is that, you know, yet against all odds, in the very shadow, if you will, or in, the, in the, the place where Satan's throne is, the Lord challenges the church to embrace consecration and to resist compromise. We live in a time where there's, you know, you can say, boy, what's been going on lately in our country and all that the throne of Satan is here. And we live in a time of, of, of persecution and opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a time for us to, to be less consecrated, to try to find a way to appease the world and get along. It's a time to even be more consecrated to Jesus Christ, to be more resolved in our faith in Jesus Christ. Because if we're not, and Jesus understands that this is why he's writing the letter to the church in Pergamos, we will not be able to stand. It's a time, oh, oh, but it's so evil out there. People are pressuring me at work. Then consecrate yourself unto the Lord. Dedicate yourself to him, first and foremost. Because if you don't, you're going to go the way of the world. You're going to be sucked into the, into the things that the world is doing. And I thought it was interesting, too, that the Lord is calling for, to consecration despite the odds against them. And the very name Antipas, the martyr in the church in Pergamos, his name literally means against all. And the Lord is saying, against all odds, stand strong in the Lord. 
Do not fear. Do not compromise. And so we come to verse 14, where the Lord commends them for holding on to his name and holding on to his faith. But he says, but I have a few things against you. Amen. You know, that's like, the, that's like your wife saying, can we talk? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. But I have a few things against you. Oh, boy, here we go. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold to the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Which thing I hate. Now, Again, here they are beginning to tolerate things that were once intolerable. And those two things fall in two categories. Number one, the doctrine of Balaam, and number two, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, I won't spend a lot of time on the Nicolaitans because we, uh, we addressed that regarding the, uh, the church in Ephesus a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the Nicolaitans. But if you missed that study, in brief, the Nicolaitans were a, a group of people who were promoting a doctrine of religious hierarchy or religious elitism. They were promoting the idea that there are some people in the church better than others. Jesus said, I hate that doctrine. They were promoting segregation within the church. When Jesus prayed, Father, make them one. And here these Nicolaitans were coming around saying, well, you know, there's some of us better than others. <laughs> and Jesus said, I hate it. He said it in the, in the letter to the church of Ephesus, and he, and he says it again here to the church in Pergamos. That doctrine, the Lord says, I hate. What I want us to focus on today is the doctrine of Balaam. The doctrine of Balaam, because this, this is where we find compromise many times uh, within the church. Yes, in the doctrine of Nicolaitans, the legalistic doctrine of the Nicolaitans, but especially in the doctrine, if you will, of Balaam. Now, who is Balaam? Some of you, many of you know who he is. You've studied the Old Testament, you know who Balaam is. But Balaam, you know, was basically a, a narcissistic, self-centered seer or a prophet in the Old Testament that was commissioned many times to curse other people. Well, the king of Moab, Balak, B-A-L-A-K, went to Balaam, B-A-L-A-A-M. He went to Balaam and said, I want you to curse the children of Israel. Because he was afraid of the children of Israel. There's so many of them. And he hired Balaam to do that. This greedy prophet agreed to do it. And I think it's interesting that Jesus uses Balaam as an example. Calls it the doctrine of Balaam here in the church in Pergamos. And uh, because in Balaam's life, we find characteristics of compromise. And so he points those three things out. We're going to look at those three areas of compromise uh, this morning that Jesus warns against. The first area is selfishness selfishness where you find the throne of satan you will find selfishness it's selfishness and jesus says here in our text in verse 14 he says balaam who taught balak to put a stumbling block before the children of israel again the king of moab balak had hired balaam to curse the children of israel and balaam wanted to accommodate him because he wanted to get paid. He paid him to curse them. And he tried to curse them, the Bible says, but he found out in Numbers chapter 23, verse 20, 
He says, behold, I have received the command to bless. He, that is God, has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Amen. I love that. Balaam was trying to curse the children of Israel, but God had blessed them. And God showed Balaam and says, you know what? You can't curse what I have blessed. What a joyful reminder for us as believers. You might feel cursed today, but God says you're blessed. And what God blesses, the devil cannot reverse. Amen. And so Balaam said, I can't curse these people, you know. But Jesus said that he taught Balak how to curse them. He taught them. And why did he do that? Because out of selfishness, he wanted to get paid. He didn't care about the children of Israel. And that's why selfishness works. It only cares about itself. And wherever the throne of Satan is, you will find selfishness alive and well. And so he came up with a scheme. What was the scheme? To get the children of Israel to curse themselves. Numbers chapter 22 to 25 records this story for us. Numbers 22, 25. You don't have to go and turn there, but if you can't go to sleep tonight, go back and read it. Amen. It's a glorious story. It really is a glorious story. It's really a story of God's great grace. Because what Balaam suggested and taught Balak to do was allow the Moabite women and Midianite women to come down into the camp of the children of Israel and seduce the men so that they might bring a curse upon themselves. And that's exactly what the enemy desires to do today in the life of many believers. He knows he cannot take your salvation. He knows he can't curse you, but he's going to get you to curse yourself. Balaam is doing this, of course, being motivated by selfishness. And his scheme worked for a while. And then God intervened in the life of his people, Israel, and Israel was able to fulfill their destiny. That is, cross the Jordan into the land of promise, Canaan. The Bible warns us against this kind of attitude of selfishness that Balaam demonstrated here, that Jesus rebukes here in relationship to the church uh, in Pergamos. He's saying that this is, what's, this is what's going on among you. You've got people in the church. It's all about them. They don't care who they, they, may, they may stumble or whatever. It's all about them. They're not walking in love. They're walking in selfishness. And James warns us against this spirit, this type of wisdom uh, uh, that the whole world is living by, we could say today. And James says this is not the wisdom that we ought to embrace. The Bible says this wisdom does not descend from above. James chapter 3. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. You know, people say, well, folks are leaving the church today. I, that doesn't bother me. You know why? Because I've read the Bible. And the Bible says in the last days, many will abandon the faith. And a lot of people leave the church because it's all about them. It's all about selfishness. And where self-seeking exists, you show me a church, church where everybody's trying to, you know, seeking their own, I'll show you a church in chaos. Where self-seeking exists, there will be confusion and every evil thing is there. Amen. That is not the wisdom that comes from God. Selfish ambition was the disease of Balaam. Selfish ambition is a disease according to scripture. The opposite of selfish ambition is the mind of Christ. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And we will read about the mind of Christ. This is the mind that we ought to have. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, 
If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. That's the church. That's the mentality we ought to have toward one another. And then he says, let nothing be done through what? Selfish ambition. It's about me. Oh, Pastor, you're not championing my cause. I'm leaving. Then leave. (laughs) Amen. It's about Jesus. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about the Lord. You know, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others. What? Better than himself? The person next to you is better than you? Yeah, I, I got one amen out of that one. <laughs> the person, when I'm sitting in church next to somebody, I'm to esteem that other person better than myself. Not just in church, but in my life. Let someone else go through the door first. Let someone else have that parking space. And nobody told me anything. I'm just saying. I can walk a little bit further. You know, I'm esteeming others better than. That's not what we hear in the world. It's not what we hear in the world. He goes on. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. You want the mind of Christ? He just described it. The Bible goes on to say, who being in the form of man did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself, set aside his reputation, took on the form of a servant, a bondservant. And was obedient to God even unto death. That's the mentality we ought to have toward one another. And Jesus looked at the church in Pergamos and said, you've allowed this selfish spirit to come in um, with some of these people who've come into the church. And it's all about them. All these special interest groups and all of this. Now it's all about them and not about me. The second compromising, back here at uh, Revelation chapter 2, the second compromising uh, characteristic of Balaam was idolatry. Wherever you find Satan's throne, you will find idolatry. And why do I say that? Because he says that selfish Balaam who caused the children of Israel to stumble because he just wanted to get paid. He didn't care about anybody else but himself. He says he caused them to eat things sacrificed to idols. To eat things sacrificed to idols, idolatry. In Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 to 3, again, you don't have to turn there, write the reference down. But Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 to 3, many of the Israelites being seduced by the Moabite women who were coming down into the camp began to eat food that was sacrificed to their idols. And the Bible says, and I quote in, in, in Numbers 25, verses 1 to 3, they bowed down to their gods. Here are the people who are supposed to be dedicated to the living God, the almighty God. And here they are bowing down to these little gods of the Moabites. It's a lot like us today. This is, again, this is the compromise is that we know the living God and we're to be serving God. But the enemy wants to you to bow down to these lesser gods, these smaller things, and to actually exalt them above the living God. It's called idolatry. 
Anything that we exalt above the Lord is idolatry. Now, as with the children of Israel in in Numbers chapter 25, idolatry always invites us to first eat, (laughs) to sample, to, to take a bite, because that's exactly what the devil did with Eve in the garden, remember? Come on, Eve, just take a bite. What's it going to hurt? Oh, I'm sorry. God's going to, God doesn't want you to eat because you're going to be just like him. And he, he deceived her and seduced her into partaking of the forbidden fruit. And so it is with idolatry. It's forbidden fruit. It's partaking of that, eating of it. And the next thing, but the, the end game, the end game to this is your worship. It is your worship. Because in Eve partaking of the the, the forbidden fruit and the children of Israel, you're bowing down to these idols. What were they doing? They were surrendering their worship. Surrendering their worship to idols. Eve surrendering worship to herself. It was about Eve. And the children of Israel surrendering their worship to the idols of Moab. Worship diverted away from the Savior to self. Is idolatry. In so doing, we make ourselves out to be little gods. <laughs> little gods. Wasn't that the temptation with Eve? Idolatry. It makes you out to be a little god. We live in a culture today that's permeated with this demonic ideology, with the idea of people being little gods, idols unto themselves. In fact, it is wrong and seen, uh, uh, it is it's called, it's unrighteous today in our culture, our society, to disagree with the idolatry of other people. We're to embrace all manner of idolatry, whatever behavior you want to have. You know, no one's supposed to say anything about it. I was reading an article about a man that uh, <coughs> uh, made himself out, I don't know if you saw this article, made himself out to look like a lizard through, you know, surgery or, or, you know, tattoos or whatever, altered his nose, you know, and planted these things in his head to give him horns all in his head and all this. And he has his face, looks like a lizard, took his tongue, split it so that he has a forked tongue and, you know, he sticks his tongue out and it looks like a snake and all this kind of stuff. And, and he was a man, but now he wants to be a woman. So they, people, you know, to think they're being you know, gracious or think they're being righteous, they want to respect, okay, uh, the fact that he believes he's a lizard woman, so they don't want to offend him, so they call him a lizard woman. I said, no, I think I need to call that what it is. That's foolishness. (laughs) Amen? That's foolishness. Call it what it is. But you can't say anything about it because everybody's an idol unto themselves, and you can't disagree with my idol. He's made an idol of himself. And I don't say that to mock the guy. The guy is lost. You don't have to put those things in your heads and all, all that and split your tongue. God loves you. That's what he needs to hear. You don't have to, you know, to, to, to uh, 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 do all these things to your body. The Lord loves you. He died for you. But people in a, in a need to, to worship, but a need to worship something greater than themselves will, will alter the way they look or do whatever, you know. But they're worshiping themselves. I thought about that, this mentality we see today. I mean, it's, it's in our society. You can't say anything about anybody. Oh, you know, he's someone who's a man, not even want to be a woman. And you can't say anything about that. We have to honor, you know, the fact that 
Don wants to be Donna. And we need to call him Donna. No, you're Don. I thought, what if you carry that mentality over to raising our children? I remember the comedian, the Christian comedian, uh, Michael Jr., he, he told this joke one time. I never forget it was funny. He said, you know what, he's talking to his son. You know, every, every father wants a child to be a doctor or a lawyer, or, you know, and to have these great aspirations, you know, to be someone great and all of this. And uh, his son came to him one day and said, Dad, I want to be a doctor. Michael Jr. said, he said, yes, inside. You know, he's like, yeah. And then his son says, or a giraffe. <laughs> Back to square one, right? But wouldn't it be foolishness as a father to say, okay, we're cooking breakfast in the morning, pancakes and eggs and all this kind of stuff, but Junior here wants to be a giraffe, so we'll just give you leaves to eat. Well, we don't want to offend Junior because he believes he's a giraffe. We don't, just give him leaves, you know, give him a little hay on the side or something, but he wants to be a giraffe. Isn't that foolishness? No, you're the parent. Boy, you're not a giraffe. Amen. And now we have people today, amen. Their kids come home and say, I think I'm a girl. Oh, you want to be a girl? You can be, no, you're the parent. You speak to them righteousness and truth. Amen. You tell them the truth. You don't just embrace whatever somebody says they want to be. That's an affront to the gospel. Well, I think I'm a girl. Boy, go look in the mirror. Take your clothes off. Let me tell you, you're a boy. You may have feminine tendencies or whatever, but you are a boy. And I know there are Christians in the church who struggle with homosexuality and struggle with those things. I get that. You know what? I have propensities I struggle against, but my propensities are not a sign of righteousness when God calls it sin. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and lizards, creeping things. The word is true. Paul saw this centuries before we even got here. And the word is true. We see that happening in our society today. And thinking themselves wise, they have become fools. Idolatry compromises our worship as Christians and it makes fools of us all. Satan tempted Jesus even with idolatry. In the wilderness, the temptation of Christ, the devil came to him tempting the Lord and Jesus said in Matthew chapter four, he said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. That's our example. That's our answer to the world today. I will worship the Lord my God and him only will I serve. When the world comes along and says, bow down to the idol that we are worshiping, you say, no, I will worship the Lord my God. Amen. So Jesus warns them, there are those who've come among you with selfishness, those who've come among you promoting idolatry as it was with Balaam. And those, thirdly, the third compromising characteristic of Balaam who come among you promoting sexual immorality. And so he says here in verse 14, 
and the latter part of verse 14, and to commit sexual immorality. The third characteristic of the doctrine of Balaam that Jesus says we should resist. Sexual immorality abounds in the shadow of Satan's throne. It abounds wherever the devil is ruling. If you're caught up in sexual immorality, it's because you are bowing at the throne of the devil. Sexual immorality abounds where Satan's throne resides. It was the means by which Balaam sought to bring a curse upon the children of Israel. When the women of Moab and the Midianite women came in and seduced the men of Israel and, and they began to bow down to the, the gods of, of Moab, it was pretty easy to, to seduce the guys because involved in the worship of the Moabite god Bel or Baal of Peor, Bel of Peor was their god. In the worship of this god, it involved sexual intercourse. And so these guys, they would come to these guys, I imagine, and say, will you come and worship our God? And they say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, you know, we can have sex. Okay. That's what happened. Because sexual intercourse was involved in the worship of their God. And they bowed down to the God of Moab. And it was through sexual immorality. The word Baal or Baal means Lord or master. And the devil seeks to master you through the sin of sexual immorality. The devil wants to, through the sin of sexual immorality, not exalt Jesus as Lord, but yourself as Lord. And Jesus warns the church and Pergamos against this. I was thinking about this the other day. I thought, you know, my generation lied to me. Generation, the message in the 60s was, you know what, the sexual revolution. Remember that? And how it was going to liberate us. We were liberated. We were free, you know. But the reality is that we had sown and have sown the wind, and we are now reaping the whirlwind. According to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, sexually transmitted diseases, disease rates have hit an all-time high again. Sexually transmitted diseases, STDs, are on the rise, according to a report from the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention. In 2017, a record-breaking 2.3 million new cases of chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis were reported. It's on the rise. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. And why is that? Because mankind has rebelled against God, and we've enthroned ourselves as little gods. And sexual immorality... It's not made us better. It has made us worse as a society. Millions have fallen prey to the lie of sexual fulfillment. Many of us sitting here today, we've fallen prey to that lie in our past. Many believers are still struggling with that very lie, but it comes from the very throne of the devil. That which promises ecstasy in our lives, you know, in the shadow of Satan's throne has only produced emptiness. That man who has sacrificed his whole family on the altar for sexual fulfillment has now lost his wife and his children living in an efficiency apartment somewhere by himself, regretting the day that he had committed the act. 
That woman who has gone out and thought, oh, something better, the grass looked greener on the other side, come to find out it's just weeds. <laughs> that that joker got problems too. And all for sexual immorality, thinking that we could be fulfilled through sexual immorality. But the reality is that true intimacy can only be found in Christ. True intimacy can only be found in Christ. And that's what people are looking for. People want intimacy. And they believe that somehow sex can fill the God-shaped hole that is in their heart. But only God can fulfill that God-shaped hole. On my way to church, I drive by this place, and it's, it's on the way to church, so you can't miss it. It's right there. It's, it's, a, it's a strip club. And I don't care, rain or shine, snow, sleet, blizzard, guys are parked outside at that strip club. And they think they're just going down there to have a good time. You know what they're doing? They're worshiping. They're bowing down just as the children of Israel did in the Old Testament. And they're bowing down and you are giving, surrendering your worship. Because here's the reality. We need to worship something because we long for intimacy. But that intimacy comes from God. And they're worshiping. Now, let's, let, let, no, I'm not going to let you ladies off the hook either. They got some clubs for women too. Amen. But what people are looking for in those places is intimacy. And the intimacy you long for, your soul is longing for, can only be fulfilled in God through faith in Jesus Christ. Psalm 107 verse 9 says that he, that is God, satisfies the longing soul and fulfills the hungry soul with goodness. You can go from relationship and relationship to relationship. End up contracting something that you didn't want to have and then have to live with it the rest of your life. Or end up, you know, in different situations and all of that. And finding yourself that with Satan promised to be fulfilling, you're actually empty, leaving you empty. Because it's the lie that proceeds from the very throne of the devil. Now, I share this not in a spirit of condemnation. You go, oh, boy, he's beating us up. No. I don't share it in a spirit of condemnation. I share it in the spirit of truth. To expose the lie proceeding from the Satan's throne that our eyes might be open to the truth of the gospel. That we serve a God of restoration. We serve a God of renewal. We serve a God that is of everlasting hope. Amen. And therefore, the gospel. Amen. Give him praise and glory. And therefore, the gospel reaches to the uttermost, but it also reaches to the guttermost. It doesn't matter who you've done it with, how many times you've done it. Doesn't matter what you've lost in your life or whatever. I serve a God who is able to create beauty from the ashes of our own decisions. Amen. That's the God that we serve. It's never too late. Don't let the enemy lie to you. He's lied to you long enough. Let him lie to you no more. Let me tell you what the Lord says in the book of Isaiah. We go back to the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter one. Isaiah chapter one, after the Lord shares with Israel you know, their rebellion and their, uh, their uh, uh, rebellion against him and all of that, the Lord says this to them as he, after recognizing all the unfaithfulness of the people of Israel, he says in verse 18, come now and let us reason together. You know, don't take your life. That's not a solution. Don't leave your spouse and, don't, you know, run out and I'm just going to, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. Yeah. Don't turn to foolishness. He says, come, let us reason together. Says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. They shall be cleansed. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. But there are consequences. There are consequences. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Come, while there's time, let us reason together. It doesn't matter how great your sin is, because where sin has abounded, God's grace abounds even much more. Amen. It's never too late. Thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In conclusion, as Jesus talks about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and then the doctrine of Balaam, he says here in verse 14 or verse uh, 16, he gives us the remedy. He says, here's the remedy, repent. He says this to the church. You've allowed these things to come in to compromise you. He says, you need to repent. And he's speaking also to the people who are bringing in the selfishness, who are bringing in the sexual immorality, you know, who are bringing in these things into the church, the idolatry. He says to them, here's the remedy, repent. He says, repent or else I will come to you quickly, verse 16, and will fight against them. He didn't say fight against you, those of you who are holding on to me, but against them, those who are bringing this stuff into the church with the sword of my mouth with my word. Now we've been here, I've been here 21 years, as I've said before, many times before, and, and the Lord has blessed this ministry. I really believe with all of my heart, the reason he's blessed this ministry, because we've had elements of, of idolatry, people coming in, elements of the Nicolaitans, people who want to set a new standard for righteousness in the church. We've had, I've seen people come in, you know, who are, who are caught up in sexual immorality and looking around for sisters who, you know, maybe they can seduce or whatever. We've seen, I've seen it all. And the reason they don't stay here and last is because the Lord fights against them because his word, the sword of his mouth is declared every week, week in and week out. Amen. And that's why the church continues. That's why this vineyard continues to stand. That's why the house of God continues to grow and people are being, you know, the word of God continues to go forth. It's the word of his mouth. I don't have to get all up in your face or and all that kind of stuff. It's God's word. Jesus said, I personally will do battle against you by the word of his mouth. And then he shows us the benefits that are listed here for those who will repent, who will submit to him. He says in verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat and I will give him a white stone. And on that stone, a new name, which is written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Wow. Two benefits. Number one, I will give you the hidden manna. He could be talking about Jesus being the bread of life. That hidden manna, that bread that the world knows nothing about. That, that nourishment, that strength that God gives to us through his word. And people wonder why you're smiling at work because you're in, and they know about your trial, but you're still walking with a smile. 
the, the joy, the spring in your step, and they're wondering, well, what are you doing? You work it out? You on a diet? What's going on? It is the hidden manna. Amen. They came to Jesus when he was talking to the woman at the well, and they didn't know what to say to Jesus because, uh, you know, uh, rabbis don't talk to women in public back then in that culture. And, and, and in a sort of an awkward moment, uh, one of the disciples said, Lord, did you get something to eat already? And Jesus said, I have food to eat you know not of. And here's the reality. We as believers in Jesus, we have food to eat that the world knows not of. It is the hidden manner of God, is the word of God that nourishes our soul. But Jesus said, if you will repent, if you will do these things, if you have an ear to hear what I'm saying, I'll give to you the hidden manna. I'll feed you. The old song, fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench the thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me until I want no more. Here's my cup, fill it up and make me whole. Amen. I love that. The bread of heaven God wants to feed us with each and every day. And here's the second benefit he says. He said, I will give you a white stone. Now, some believe that Jesus is alluding here to uh, the Old Testament, the priesthood. They wore a breastplate that had 12 stones on it, and each stone represented a tribe of Israel, and the name of that tribe was on each one of those stones. That's in Exodus chapter 39. If you can't go to sleep tonight, amen. Read about all of the details God gave to Moses about building the tabernacle and the, and the priestly garments and all of that. But in Exodus 39 is where he talks about the garments of the priests and the 12 stones on the breastplate. Could be alluding to that, but Jesus said, I will give you a white stone, white representing purity, white representing reconciliation, restoration, or acceptance before God. That white stone. And it would have a name on it that nobody knows but you and the Lord. It's not the name you have now. It's another name. Amen. Then Jesus is going to give you that stone. You know what it speaks of? He's talking about intimacy. Intimacy with you. He says, I know you. It's a personal thing that you and the Lord have. He's talking about intimacy with the Lord. It's the same type of intimacy in a sense that a husband and wife may have the little cute names we give to each other. You know, you get that little name that you call him. He's a big old studded looking guy, but at home he's Pookie Bear. <laughs> Come on now. And you shudder to think your friends will ever find that out, you know. Oh, Pookie Bear, hey. Pookie Bear, get over here and help us with this beam. Hey, <laughs> Pookie Bear. Anyway. But it's a, it's a personal, intimate name. And I'm not saying it's going to be Pookie Bear, but it's, it's just, but it's an intimate name that God has for you. And for me, he says, it's between us. Awesome. It's time to come out from among the shadows of Satan's throne. It's time to refute the throne of Satan that tries to rule in the church and in our lives. And to come into the light. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18 says, therefore come out from among them. Doesn't mean that you can't have People who are your friends that are not Christians, doesn't mean that at all. But the spirit of the world, you can't have koinonia, fellowship with the spirit of this age. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. What? Almighty. Amen. Only then can we be blessed for success.
You've been listening to the weekly podcast from the pulpit of Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs, where Al Pittman serves as senior pastor. In today's message, we've continued our survey of the book of Revelation. Plan to join us each week as we move through this fascinating Bible territory. And would you let a friend know about this podcast? That would be great because we want the word of God to go viral. Thanks. We hope you will subscribe to this podcast and keep current with our weekly teachings from our church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. If you want access to a full archive of teachings from Calvary Worship Center, click in at cwccs.org and look under media. That's also where you will find full information about our church in Colorado Springs and you'll have the opportunity to support this ministry financially. That is cwccs.org and click under give. Okay, now you know and you can stay in touch weekly for the updated podcast right here with the teachings of Pastor Al Pittman. So remember, the book of Revelation comes with a built-in blessing just for reading it. How much more profitable to read, understand, and apply? Because that's the plan, folks. Thanks for joining us. This podcast has been presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.